This is the Oz Pub Rock Show with Lachlan Hulley. This episode on the Oz Pub Rock Show, I chat with a great mate of mine, an Australian legend, rock roadie Johnny Boxer. Oh, mate, thank you. What an intro. <laughs> to think from the past. <laughs> now, now, Johnny, how long were you a roadie for during the 70s and 80s? Well, to be honest with you, um, it would have been mid-70s that um, I started uh, doing helping out. It, it started, I was about 15 in the mid-70s. And um, I was just helping mates out, um, one of them being Michael Chug, who, uh, if we do or don't know, uh, become um, the Frontier Touring, uh, brought all the international bands into Australia, and then um, did all from that. But um, to, to be honest with you, it, it started way back with, um, I think one of your questions were about Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, but okay, I won't step into that. But I was, okay, seventy eighties. What happened was I, I met Michael Chug to um, through mates of mine that I went to school with who were a bit older than I, and where some of them were bouncers, some doubled up as roadies, and just needed a hand um, setting up um, bands. You know, like just like a band like Parramatta Stadium uh, or Parramatta Park back then. Um, just you know, venues that were out in the open, open venues. So we just like gear. In and out, so we lug you in. I give them a hand, and then they put me on the books, and um, and then we lug it out, and then they let you know when the next one is. So I sort of did big concerts, and um, and uh, then became involved with them and did little ones. So, uh, matter of fact, they were called Tell on Stage back then. It was um, that was Chuggy's uh, business, Tell on Stage. They were just doing sound and lighting, and a friend of mine called Straw, who was um, he was the original roadie, or one of the original roadies from back in the day. And he was the one who got me to help him and slowly worked my way in through that. So, um, yeah, I did many, many gigs uh, in those years from 75 to 80. Yeah. Who were you a roadie for during those during the mid-70s? <laughs> uh, well, I worked for Chuggy, but the bears that we did were Gordon Pavilion. Were um were a big asset because that was set in town. They were in Surrey Hills. Their uh, their business, that um, a warehouse in Surrey Hills. So whatever the Horton Pavilion was up, we used to assist their the original crew uh, that they brought with them, or you know um, whoever the bands were. Um, Skyhooks were were a big one. Um, uh, oh, I've done so many of the Horton Pavilion. I, I can't even think of the names, but. Um, uh, status quo, um, um, the who, um, Rose Tattoo was a major, major one. Okay, that's how I, I got in with uh, Rose Tattoo. <laughs> started raiding, and then uh, Agnes and I became mates, and and so forth. Well, we all became mates. They were in Paddington at the time, so we used to congregate after the gig, and we'd end up back there drinking um, a couple of cartons at Foster's. <laughs> which, is, which is, you know, a, a, a thing of the time, I guess. But um, I've run it for many, many bands. Just, um, you know, at the time, you know, if someone was actually on that gig, they say, oh, do you want to work tomorrow? Do you want to work the weekend? And you sort of get individual gigs. But a lot of it was through Michael Chug. If you had, if, um, 
you guys know who Michael Chug is. He's, he's the owner of Frontier Touring and the one that brings all the big bands into Australia. Yeah? Mm. But um, I, a lot of them were just word of mouth. Um, I, you know, just through the bands that I knew as I accumulated them as as I um just worked with them. You know, the roasted it was a major one of mine, and um, I helped them. They did a lot of the Horton Pavilion, big, big gigs, you know, like, uh, oh, I, I can't remember back in the day, uh, the Skyhooks were a backup band, Australian band, or Hush uh, were back in the day. They were Chinese brothers um, that um, backed up big bands. So there was always an Australian band that was backing up international gigs. So I'd, I'd rate in those, but they had their own crew for the big bands. They had a massive crew. So I'd always sort of mingle with them and, you know, sort of hang around and we'd watch gigs and then we'd load out and bump out, as they call it, bump in, bump out. What was angry like to uh, to be around Angry Anderson? <laughs> Very angry. He's one of the nicest guys, one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet, to be honest. Um, family family dude, um, you know, he's for his persona, you know, with his bald head, shiny head and his tattoos. He was one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to come across, you know, as a rock and roll star. Um, I've got fond memories of uh, catching up with a band afterwards, you know, um, Mick Cox, uh, who was now uh, passed on. He was um, their lead guitarist. Um, uh, Geordie, who was their bass guitarist. Um, uh, you know, Angry. Um, I've forgotten the name of the, uh, Kerry Jacobson was their drummer. That's right. He was a Melbourne boy, Kerry Jacobson. Um, well, I've got fond memories of them, but Angry was always just laid back, very cool, very chill. Um, you know, we, we'd load him, they do the gig, I'd seen and watch them at the Lifesaver, which is one of the biggest, uh, oldest venues in Australia, as far as, I mean, in Sydney, that I can remember. It's called, they called it the Swap, um, the Lifesaver. And that was right in the middle of Bondi Junction. And that sort of was the gig to get, uh, really. And uh, that's another place that I met another other bands just by hanging around with roadies and uh, during the gig. And then, you know, when we finished, we'd have to bump out. And, and it was a lot of hard work and very, very quick because they wanted to close the venue. But um, Angry Anderson was one of the nicest guys I'd ever, ever uh, come across. Uh, he was never moody. He was never. He was always, you know, laid back. He, I remember him sitting around just lazing about, and then the moment he on stage, he was like this. He was like a fireball. He was like this little rocket rocket that jumped on the stage and he exploded, you know, into the, you know, rock and roll outlaw and blah blah blah, and you know, and that's what he was. He was a rock and roll outlaw. <laughs> mm. Yep. Um. Who were some of your favourite mates to be around during the roadie business in the music industry at that time? Um, oh, they're all pretty cool, but you know, there was one. Straw was one of the guys that I actually um, took to. He was actually a sound technician. Um, his name was uh, Straw. Uh, we called him, um, and he was around Globe and he was a very cool dude. He um, he was married. He was a lot older than I. And, but um, he sort of put, took me under his wing and, and he knew what he was doing, you know, you know, carrying stuff or rolling stuff out or, you know, just putting things together. So I sort of hung around 
him uh, the time whenever we did stuff together. He did big he was a, a technician, so he did all the all the, the lighting, the sound, you know, the hookups, and uh, he was a, he was a technician. But I uh, always touch base with him. But I just remember when you're loading in, it's like you have massive trucks coming in, and you're just rolling speakers and speakers and equipment off, you know, rolling them off, and just rolling them straight in, you sort of throw them in the center of the, the ring. And then the technicians take over and, uh, and they set it all up. But smaller gigs, I guess, we used to sort of roll them in, set them up. Uh, we knew where everything went because you'd done it before. And then they hook it up and then they do a sound check. And so we used to hang around and uh, watch it. It was really interesting. As a kid, I was only 15, 15 16, you know, at the time. So pretty, uh, you know, and all happened for me. Um, and I loved, I loved, um, hanging around and watching it and then watching the gig and then, you know, I never missed it, missed, missed, uh, and the ice just didn't watch and watch, and uh, I didn't drink at the time. I, I never didn't drink until I was in my 30s, so I used to just sit on the water or lemonade or coke or something, and just hang here in, in the back, in the bleachers, and just watch the bands, you know, enjoy the bands, you know. And as a kid, that was pretty massive. I was actually still in high school, just to be able to do my, you know, my high school certificate, or the beginning, you know, um, it was, we call it back then, it was fifth form and sixth form, which changed year 11 and 12 uh, years later. But I was still studying at school and getting very little sleep and enjoying uh, the two sides of life, you know, the rock and roll industry and, and everything that went with it and um, and then being a schoolboy. Well, I was just, just a state athlete and um, a schoolboy at one of the highest levels, I guess. Uh, any stories that you're willing to share? Any stories? Yeah, you know, there was a mention of Stevie Wright, and, uh, which I yeah. rolled back, back into the day. Now, Stevie Wright became a friend, a friend of mine, but in a back in a backhanded manner. Um, Stevie, as we know, you know, um, wrote the trilogy of Evie. Now, I went to school with a guy called, um, his name was Oscar, and that was from Finland, Oscar Ivanov. His name was, and um, he had a sister called Eva, and um, and they both had just very, very straight blonde hair, like white blonde hair. They were from Finland, you know, Scandinavia, so, somewhere. And they, we went to school together. So Oscar was a friend of mine, and um, he wasn't a sportsman, but I did, I played a lot of sports. But somehow through that association, I hooked up with him, and we spent a bit of time together. Now he had an older sister called Eva. And strangely enough, Eva is what Stevie wrote the song about, the Evie, the trilogy of Evie, was about her. Now, she was a bit of a rock and roll, you know, chick, you know, her and her friends used to uh, get together. They were all so beautiful back in the day that, um, you know, they always got the, the best part of gigs, you know, they got entry free, so they got, you know, and sat around a stage and blah, blah, blah. So they were always revered. Now, Stevie Wright wrote the song because he he um, he never he never got with Evie, but he sort of looked at it from from a distance, like he he, um, he was almost there, but he, he couldn't quite get there. And because they were friends of ours, um, we were right in the mix of it, right in the middle of it. So that's an interesting story that those three songs are written about her, and we, I spent a lot of time with Evie, not not in that in any other strange fashion, but just because of the association with the brother. And so we spent a lot of time with her and she hung off us as well. She was a little bit older than us, but um, 
you know, we did went to gigs together, and so it was always seen together. And it's just funny that that all comes together somehow, you know. So I mean, it's not a funny story. I mean, we very, very many strange stories that accumulate as teenagers, you know, traveling the town of the Horton Pavilion, um, seeing bands and some of the fights we got into for what reason I don't know. But mm. it's just that was a part and parcel of the day, and um, you know, going back to Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, friends of mine, two mates of, at school were actually working the doors. Uh, one, one's name was uh, Jack Hancock, um, and he was a good fighter, and Dave Arnold, who was also a good fighter. I played cricket with Dave Arnold on his weekend uh, competition cricket and during uh, school. We represented the school in uh, Zone State and, and what have you. Well, I just went to visit them one night. I was uh, went to see the Jesus Christ Superstar, and their supervisor, they grabbed me, and because I was, they said, yeah, Johnny's a good fighter, and because I had a reputation of uh, being a lad around, um, you know, around the time. And he said, we do not want a job on the doors. But in actual fact, what, they, what he did, because the doors were already covered by, they had enough guys on the doors. They, he put me in charge of John English. So obviously, at that age, at the age of 15, I was looking after John English. Um, but just his personal bodyguard <laughs> from zero to a hundred, you know. So this is not a shit. Like every, I can tell you that many tales about things that, that occurred that wouldn't happen to anybody else mm-hmm. back in those days. It was just fascinating. Doug mm-hmm. Parkinson was a part of it, and he later on became a, a very, very close friend um, through family um, association. Uh, I ended up dating. Uh, his wife's sister, he married Kevin Borridge. And just somehow, through the rock and roll industry, I ended up with her. She left Kevin and ended up with me. And so Doug was a, a long life time friend of ours. He just passed away not so long ago. But he was a lifelong friend. I've known him since the age of 15, whether or not from uh, Jets Cross Superstar days right through till, um, you know, things that he'd done. Uh, um, you know, to, to date, really. Um, oh, it's a great memory. I, you know, it's just, oh, there's so many hitting my head at the moment. I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's um, that was this is just a snippet. Just that's that's just that. If you're talking about a half mile, <laughs> that's about a quarter of an inch in the life of Johnny Boxer in, in a half mile. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was your favourite decade? During that time, my favourite decade. Well, as far as enjoying seeing some of the biggest bands in the world, you know, um, all ended up with. You know, you know, to be honest with you, I'll, I'll roll it back. I'll roll it forward a little bit. Even those days, those days were exciting, but they became very much similar because week in week out, become the same and become familiar with it. If you know what I mean. Yep. So there was no big eye opener, and um, it's just something you did for cash in hand. Uh, back in the day, and um, and you saw the gigs. And so one gig was the same. They're all just loud, big, lots of kids coming to see them. But um, I tell you, one of the highlights of my life was working at the Coogee Bay Hotel. Mm, yeah. And I remember walking in there uh, one day, and this is, uh, and I can tell you, this, <laughs> it was 91, I think, 1991. And um, I walked in. Coogee Bay, so I, was, um, I had some business, uh, I didn't see doctors in Bomber Junction. Anyway, I went, I went down to Coogee Bay, I used to sit me and have a look. And um, 
as I walked in, this blue broke out in the in the in the in the beach in the beach bar, which is on the corner. And um, so I was just ran in and just I don't know what it was my nature was just to help out. I seen bouncers struggling, so I just jumped and knocked a few blows out, dragging out. So I ran into the walls and sat them down. Anyway, the supervisor. Strangely enough, was actually a school friend of mine, a bit older than I was, so I never really know knew him that well, but he knew of me, and so he looked up, I looked up to him, blah blah blah, vice versa. Well, he had this red band in his arm as a supervisor of security, and anyway, I remember this after that had occurred, and he'd seen what I'd done. He grabbed me by the arm, dragged me to the office, took me to a, a guy called Ivan, who actually ran Cookie Bay back in the day, and that was for. Um, um, for the uh, Terry Clark, for Terry Page, sorry, Terry Page back in the day. That was a big venue as well for rock and roll bands, for, for those who know, um, you know, the rock venues. What happened was, I remember this, he took me to this big guy called Ivan, and he's gone, Johnny Box has taken over. And I even said a word to him, not a word. So he ripped his red band off, handed it to me, and said, Johnny Box has taken over. Well, from that day on, I ran security at Goody Bay for the next number of years, another seven years or something. Became a supervisor just like that. Walked in, bang, never did any groundwork. Um, you know, as it, as it is, and you've got to work your way into a security company that I had nothing, knew nothing about. Didn't know any, anybody that worked for them. But the association became so separate that I used to supervise much better than what one of their guys would. Because I had no um, emotional or any uh, social uh, connection to them. So if that makes any sense. So I actually ran Goodie Bay as of the next number of years with an iron fist. And as a matter of fact, they called me Roadhouse. Why, well, I don't know, but I think it was from a movie back in the day with Swayze. And um, so I used to walk to a fight and just sort it out. It was, just, it was a fist of fury. And dragged him out. Those that didn't belong got dragged out and never came back. And those that did were looked after, and especially their girls, which is our main concern was looking after the, the patrons, but mainly the girls that didn't get affected by some of these fights that the break out the beer garden or in venues or um, saloons, especially in Quincy Bay, uh, which is just the venue I'm talking about. Yeah, but um, that's one of my greatest memories and one of my favourite. Times working security and uh, and we, I assisted the roadies. You know, if any bears bumped in, then we should, uh, I'd grab a couple of loads and we'd help them, uh, you know, bump in, and then I'd take them to their green rooms and their, you know, and tell them where what's what and show them the venue and how the access it is, you know, all their ins and outs and where they were staying and blah blah blah. So, so mine was a bit bigger. My position was bigger at that stage. I didn't have to do much work, but. Still associated uh, with bands and some of the biggest bands in the world, you know, played at Coogee Bay back in the day. Uh, why was Coogee Bay Hotel one of the most wildest places to um, to be at? <laughs> why? <laughs> I guess because all the different people live along the, along the beaches, you know, and <laughs> you can imagine, you know, a lot of them served, a lot of them, you know, lived on the, on the beach fronts and and then they'd put on their best pair of jeans and their, their best T-shirt to go out on the Friday and Saturday night. <laughs> and they were all tuned, you know, tunes after a few beverages, I guess they just wanted to fight, you know. And Goodie Bay was actually a bloodbath back in the day. And for what reason, I don't know why it became so notoriously, um, 
you know, um, now as a bloodbath. But I, I can tell you sometimes the fights that occurred in Coogee Bay, we had coppers that come down from Randy. To assist us, you know, sometimes, you know, they didn't actually want to come in and assist us. But, you know, when you're fighting 10 and 10 blokes um, in a venue, you can get a bit messy. So I remember coppers jumping in and helping us. And, and when we've sorted them out, I've looked at, the, you know, some of the coppers and, and looked at some of my workers, and we were ripped. And we were, our faces were red and, and fists with blood on them. And, um, Pretty, pretty much a, a bloodbath. And these guys have got them out of the hotel. They're sitting outside. But then if there was enough of them, they thought they were smart ass or pissed enough, they'd actually get back up and walk straight in. And some of the guys didn't know how to stop these guys, right? Like, you know, physically stop them. If they wanted to come in, they just walk straight back in, find an access or, um, and then up at the bar and then have to start all over again. Remember this one night, it was about 10 and we'd fought and got them outside and, and, and I was for you know, five minutes as long as I was for five minutes. But, uh, and the, all the cops had come down for everything. I remember them pulling out in their cars and they were just parked like serious on the road. Anyway, the, the, the man said, you're right, Johnny Boxer. I said, yeah, I'm cool. And he's fine. And so they've taken off. These guys are all straight back in the bar and lined up every one of them ordering drinks. And the bar staff didn't know what to do, so they just serving him. So here I'm going, me, I'm going, gone in, grabbed the biggest blade, dragged him to the door, belted him, knocked him around his head into a wall. And the coppers have come back down again, because it's all gone up again. And <laughs> they just stood there and put their arms out and said, you're on your own, Johnny Boxer. Mm. So we had to find these guys to get on their own. Yeah. And um, it was just one of the most memorable nights, I guess, you know. But it happened pretty much every weekend. For one reason or another, whether it be over a girl, whether it be someone spilling a drink, or whether it be someone, you know, blah, blah, blah. It, once it went off, it just, it just, it was like a um, volcanic eruption. It, it rolled and, and just exploded, and, and before you know it, you're a part of it. So, yep. I, I didn't have much trouble with drugs. Like if people were, were, were drunk and were in a group, you know, sometimes they pose and they go, oh, no, he's all right, he's all right. But, you used to walk into the door. Once they got out the venue, then they were fine. But, so we didn't have much trouble with um, people that were drinking in groups because they were all like the uni students or some or locals. But if you had guys like uh, surfers, for example, guys that surfed and played, you know, you know, you get to other venues, it's, it's almost like a rival between Bonai and Coogee. It's almost like if they come out and watch a gig, you be guaranteed it's going to be a stink. And they were all surfing dudes, you know, young, young folks that surfed and all the traders that worked together or blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, the beer garden was one of the most notorious places for fights um, at Coogee Bay. But Salinas, it was what, if you, if you know Salinas, and once it was packed, it was chock-a-block from, from, uh, from the moist pit right back to the entrance, there was no standing, there was only standing room. So to get into the venue, if there was a fight that broke out in the middle of the floor, to get in there to start with was an effort. But what I should just, I should just walk in. I'd bring everyone before the gigs and say, uh, all, my, all my boys, I'd say, you know, if I, if I go to a problem, don't leave your post, that's what you paid for, you just threw the five bars in Coogee Bay. 
if I grab one bloke, I'll pick him with my eyes, I'll walk in and another's distance behind me. I said, I'll walk in, I'll knock him out, and then we'll drag him out together. And basically, that's what it was. So mm. I had one bloke that followed me, an arm distance behind, and he was like covering my back. And we walk and we push our way through to where the problem was. I just walk in, and sometimes by doing this, and which is allowed back in the day, this is how things work. You just knock them out and just drag them out, and then people just cleared the way for us to get them out. And once they're out, that was it. Pretty much. Yep. Now, so that's probably why they called me Roadhouse. Yeah. From that, from that movie, you know, because I would say, mm. yeah, there's only two of us, and um, I mean, there was people to back us up, but basically, I walked in and just knocked these boats out, and we dragged them out, which wasn't too hard back in the day. Yep. Now, Johnny, I, I've I've known you for a while as as, as your stage character, Bobo. How did that yeah. story come about? Good story, Bobo. Yeah. Uh, it's a very very strange, um, in a very very odd and strange way. Um, I was working on the door at the King's Cross Hotel, and um, uh, back in the day, I'm going back twenty five years. And I'd even security a break for a while, but then come back in bits and pieces to supervise. They scuttled from Pudgy Bay to the cross. They knew the supervisor that knew what they were doing and blah, blah, blah. So I was the one they used to grab from Pudgy Bay. So I'm working at the King's Cross Hotel for a couple of weeks. Um, with the truth, I didn't know that. I think they were constant security. I was working with Aces. And so I knew the owners, the Tatros who owned, um, Pudgy Bay, uh, sorry, the security, Aces security. Anyway, so they've asked me to come and supervise and boys, uh, guys, you know, pick a team that I thought would work best together in that venue. So it was pretty big and there was a lot of trouble in that particular venue at King's Cross Hotel, which is on the corner of William Street and Darlinghurst Road. And they had two venues out of the rooftop, which is uh, for this, um, you know, for specialised events like um, engagement parties or birthdays or, you know, so they kept that drop. Separate than the uh, sorry than the um, King's Cross Hotel, which is just a bar, um, a corner. Now, one one night I remember I walked in about ten to seven, which is seven ten minutes earlier than what I should have started. And the barmaid or the manager was cowered in the corner of the the, the jump, which is the bar, and um, and was just shaking pretty much as she pointed to the far end of the bar. And it was, I think it was um, three or four guys. Um, they were all, they'd been there since last time. They came in at lunch and they'd eaten lunch here and they'd been drinking, so they'd been there for some hours. And I was quite pissed. And at this stage, as I was walking over to them, didn't know what was going on, but I quickly, quickly found out they were rubbing schooner glasses, full schooner glasses onto the top floor and smashing them and laughing and carrying on. <laughs> I remember. I walked over to them and I got their attention and said, you guys are all messy. I said, um, it's time you left. I said, but you're not bad. I said, you're welcome back tomorrow. And one of them laughed at me. So I leaned over and grabbed him by the scruff of his neck and broke his nose. As a matter of fact, he walked out bleeding through his eyes. <laughs> the second mate is, and I thought he was actually jumping me, but he was actually trying to assist his mate because there's blood everywhere. So I just elbowed this guy in the nose and put it back to the back of his head and he's bleeding the same. And they're both walking out with, with blood-filled hands and their hands on their noses, staggering to the front door. Well, um, <clears throat> I remember 
went all the way to the to the front, the three steps of the front door, just to make sure that they've left and 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 contain that. I remember as I've turned to the, to the bar manager and just said it's sorted. The bar manager's turned around and she's going, watch out, she's pointed over my shoulder. Well, this guy's come back with a haymaker. He's actually full, he's got his arm wound back like a bound spring, just about to smack me in the back of the head. So as I've turned around, and it was almost like my left foot forward and half step, I've just, it was almost like a, a power punch from the, from the, from the from mid-session to the to his chin and lifted him off the ground. It was that quick that you had to be there and to see what happened. I lifted him off his feet about half an inch. He's falling backwards and he's rolling backwards. You can imagine this. He's floating in the face, rolling backwards <laughs> and then hit the ground. Now, this is, a, this is what happened. When he hit the ground, he actually farted. <laughs> so he hit the ground and it was just a massive fart. So that he was asleep in the air, his eyes were shut, and he was floating backwards and hit the ground farted. And the supervisor came up to me, I was amazed if head manager came and said, Johnny, take your shirt off and fuck off until I think you killed him. And I turned around and said, No, he wouldn't shit himself instead of farting. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was I just walked out and dragged the guy from by the scruff of the neck around the corner, out of the way of the paying public, those were coming in and passing by. And just came back and he said, yeah, Johnny, you take the line up. Anyway, so lo and behold, to me, there's a little guy standing at the at the base of the stairs at the King, at Kingsford's Hotel with a dog, a football dog in his, in his hands, having a, having a, making a feast of it. And lo and behold, that's Paul Finney. You know, he, he's watched this whole thing unfold. He's getting hot dogs and hot dogs there, which is on the corner of Darlinghurst Road and, and William Street, pretty much back in the day, and he's just in with his hand out the street going, love your work, and get up, what's your audition for this? I said, get out of this fucking way, idiot. I said, didn't see what you say. Well, I didn't know who he was and what was going on. I'm just a football dog in his hand, trying to shake my hand with nothing and sort of like his face, you know. <laughs> anyway, so as a result of that, um, he, he came in um, and said to the management that, in two weeks, he was auditioning for, for um, you know, something for, uh, he just moved to Madrid Street at SBS, and he was doing one of his pilots or doing something in the beginning of his career as a director. And he said he'd like to have me along. Um, there's a part of one of to audition or he wanted me to do something, right? So the management of the group, and so um, that's how that came about. Now, I remember that he said two weeks, and in two weeks to the day, at that particular time, he sent someone to pick me up. And I remember the guy's name, his name was Dave Webster, and he was another director from, uh, he actually had a place called Ambience, which is across the road from SBS, and they did animated stuff, you know, all the animation that we see on TV and uh, cartoons and blah, blah, blah. So he came and picked me up, and we had a brief chat on the way from there to uh, SBS at our time. And um, and he said, "Mate, just be yourself." He said, um, "He just can ask a couple of questions and blah blah blah." Well, I, I remember walking in there, Spears, and there's Paul Finney, uh, none of the other with portfolios or, or you know clipboards in their hands, and all sitting seated in the semicircle. And I walked in, <laughs> and before they even asked me any questions, I sort of looked at me and gone, "Well, 
So, uh, how have you been? Did you get anything out of that, Lachlan? Yes. Bye bye. Yes. Get back to work, your branches. Get back to work, yeah. Yeah, that's yep. true, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, now, how have you been keeping sane during lockdown? Mate, lockdown hasn't affected me at all. I don't even know that it's lockdown. Mm. <laughs> um, I've got a beautiful partner who keeps me occupied and keeps. Keep me chatting and listening, and we, so conversations. One of our best, uh, you know, our permanent status as far as keeping each other company and keeping each other amused. Um, I've been painting of late, which is something that I've accumulated since. I guess since uh, I've had some operations on, on my leg uh, from a motorbike accident that I um, that I claimed when I was um, seven, eight, six, seven and a half. And I've had them rectified in the last couple of years. So it's been a part of my recovery plan, I guess. Um, just not by choice, you just sort of have them. You sort of, you know, well, my partner's an absolutely brilliant partner. She's an artist in the highest regard. And I watched her trying to paint me for the Archie Balls last year. 
<laughs> and I just love the brush strokes and this massive canvas. Like, you imagine it's like, how big was it? Six foot? Or, was it a six foot canvas square? Yeah. It would have been six foot by six foot. Yeah. Right? Or something like that, you know. It'd be quite a large canvas. And I watched the trying to paint me, and it was actually quite brilliant. It was, <laughs> it's so good it's a perfectionist it would never finish because they, they just never know when to stop. It's <laughs> best uh, fading me, you know, she didn't know when to stop. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I watched her, you know, brush stroke and, and saw it come together. I was just going, wow, you know, and it amazed me, you know, because I've never actually seen an artist um, putting something together and how it develops and uh, the the texture and um, and so forth, how it all blends in and eventually becomes, you know, quite an, an amazing uh, picture. So um, I think I just went to an agent said, do you want to buy a double with your paints? Right? You know, like she'd have big dogs of paint everywhere and so I'd take my brush in and just sort of paint on whatever it was, like a piece of cardboard or, you know, piece mm. of, you know, paper. And that's how it started. So um, by watching her... And in amazement, I've actually started doing it. I'll be at pastime. As a matter of fact, I've got about 70 paintings now, and um, you know that we're exhibiting. And, um, for some strange reason, I don't know what it is, but I've got some flair in my in my right hand. <laughs> it portrays it, it itself between the paint, the brush, my fingers, and whatever I'm painting on. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it be a wall, cardboard, a piece of furniture, <laughs> whatever takes my fancy at the time. Now, yeah. now, Johnny, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you on the Oz Pub Rock Show, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you soon, mate. Oh, mate, so soon. He cut me off. <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, I'll see you. Well, yeah, I'll see you tonight on TV. All uh, right, of course you will. Yes. There's another thing that I do. Yeah. Your day job, again. <laughs> My day job, yeah. It's what brings in the, uh, the bread and butter, I guess. But, mate, Lachlan, you know, absolute pleasure talking with you. You you are actually, um, you're one of the shining lights out of Melbourne, Lachlan. You are a, a shining example of uh, one of the most wonderful young men that I've encountered um throughout my career and uh, it's yeah. absolute pleasure speaking with you doing things with you even like being your friend yeah. and um, thank you very much for the opportunity to share just a, um, a, a midget of my my life and my existence um, but Lachlan thank you very much and it's always yeah. a pleasure speaking with you and, uh, and I hope that you do very well in the future that's alright mate uh, it's, it's an okay. absolute pleasure speaking to you speaking to a legend like you you're an absolute, an absolute <laughs> character. Settle down, I'll slap you. Yeah. <laughs> you make it work. <laughs> that was Australian rock roadie Johnny Boxer. It was great speaking to him. We look forward to seeing you again soon and keep rocking on the Old Spark Rock Show. Goodbye.